Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Okay, the Stat Waddy game. Do you know, it struck me that there may be some people who caught up with this late in the day, Mark, and don't realize the derivation, the rich history of the Stat Waddy game, uh, which started with uh, somebody, uh, some listener querrying as to whether there actually was a, ever a group called Stat Waddy. Stat Waddy. And which we were rather obsessed with, weren't we? We were. Weren't they on the dandelion, the John Peel dandelion label? I think they, they were. were. Anyway. I mean, he certainly promoted them and loved and, them. Um, well, they had an album called, unless I'm entirely mistaken, Bugger Off. There you go. Called Bugger Off by Jack Waddy. That is, that's commercial, isn't it? And so the idea was that there are, in every corner of uh, a popular music, we shine a light. So you, you find a, a bunch of a bunch of groups and acts with names that you think, they couldn't possibly have made those up, could they? You know what I mean? Because you can't quite tell the difference. So that's where we began with the Stackwoody game, and we move on week by week to pick different areas. And uh, actually, it recently has moved over to the listeners suggesting areas. Uh, and I've got one from Mike Shuttleworth. Shall I start with this? Go on, go on. Give, try okay. Mike Shuttleworth sends in these five band names from the Perth scene of the 1980s, uh, and and they all have kind of literary uh, bookshop-type references, possibly because they may be the kind of group started by uh, little weeds who worked in bookshops. Yeah. It's not impossible. People wearing okay. actual health glasses. There you go. Yeah. Um, here are five. Okay. One, Charlotte's Web. Yep. Rabbit's Wedding. Eep of the Gra, the left-handed booksellers of London, and the Funkin' Wagnalls. 
God. Charlotte's oh, Web, nice. Rabbit's Wedding, Eep of the Gras, the left-handed booksellers of London, or, of course, who could forget, the Funkin' Wagnalls. So. That, that is absolutely... I don't know where I would start to unravel that. In fact, I'm going to go straight in. Go on. And say that I think, because it's so absurd and so cumbersome and so awkward and so difficult to say and so uncommercial and unexciting, really, that the left-handed... Booksellers of London. Why, if you were in Perth and you wanted a literary title, why on earth would you call your your band the? the, the I can tell already, just looking at your face, that <laughs> that I'm wrong. No, he's just, he's just struck me. He's only just struck me halfway through this. We're assuming he's talking about the Perth in Scotland. He may not be doing. He may be talking about the Perth in Australia. Oh, or, I think I thought it was Australia actually. Oh well, it doesn't. I didn't say that. Mr. Yeah, no, I, did, I assumed it was. Go on. Okay. Well, okay. So the one that uh, I think you correctly identified, the one that was right. <laughs> left-handed bookseller of London, is actually the title of a novel by an Australian writer called Garth Nix. So it must be the Australian Perth. Uh, sure yes, and the, so the four real ones are Charlotte's Web, uh, Rabbit's Wedding, Eep of the Gras, and the Funk and Wagnalls. Funk and Wagnall, I think, is an American publisher, isn't it? I think it was a uh, very, very old. Name That's very publishing. good. So well done, Thank Mike. Thank you to Mike. Okay. Very, very good indeed. Okay. All right, I'm going to fire one at you, okay? This is invented by me, this one. This is in the grand tradition of mangled celebrity band names. All right, so here's five. Four of them are real, and one of them has been cunningly cooked up by me. Mangles, five bands. But as in, as in, number one, Santa Barbara Streisand. Oh, okay. Number two... Harmonica Lewinsky. <laughs> Number three, Kathleen Turner Overdrive. <laughs> <laughs> Number four, Mary Tyler Morphine. <laughs> and Number five, Ringo Death Star. Okay, they're coming uh, at you again. Yeah, Santa Barbara Streisand, <laughs> Harmonica Lewinsky, Kathleen Turner Overdrive. Mary Tyler Moore, oh, Ringo God. Death Star. Oh, Four of those are real. They're all brilliant. They're good, aren't they? They're uh, really I'm gonna. Oh, I'm gonna say one is too good to have been thought of by a band. Kathleen Turner Overdrive. No, they're real. Kathleen <laughs> Turner. I, I remember them actually from my uh, from I think my just before Word magazine. Kathleen, they were for Chicago rock band from around 2000. As were actually Chicago punk band Mary Tyler Morphine are real too. Right. Um, as are uh, Ringo Death Star, American shoegaze band from Austin, Texas. So you're going to tell me harmonica is made up by you? No, no, it's not. No, the the, the ringer, the fake one, I'm afraid, is Santa Barbara Streisand. Oh, right. I thought it just sounded like a Californian surf punk act. Uh, no, yeah. the real one, the, oh, the other real one, is Harmonica Lewinsky, which is what made me want to do this, because I just stumbled across their name. I thought it was so good. In fact, there are right. two, I think there are two versions of Harmonica Lewinsky. One is a Cockney sing-along entertainer from Harrow on the Hill, and the other one is a lo-fi psychedelic psycho surf band from Rochester, New York State. So I think there are actually one. The one of them spells it with Lewinsky with an I, and the one with a Y. It's a great name, isn't it? Harmonica so Lewinsky. just repeat to me that uh, description of the uh, the group from New York State. Go on. How did you describe them? You called them a what? Oh, they are. They they describe themselves as a lo-fi psychedelic psycho surf band. Right. Go slowly. Lo-fi. Lo-fi. Psychedelic. psychedelic. Psycho surf. 
I I don't know. You're going to ask that, me what psycho surf. Well, I'm just saying that. I guess it's most, partly psychobilly and surf rock. That's the most hyphenated band description I've ever heard in my life. You know, that's gone as far away from pop music as it's possible to get, isn't it? You just, it is. You just add on different qualifiers. Trying to trying to get yourself into a smaller and smaller niche. <laughs> Absolutely. I know. There's another one called Brute Foresight, which is great. They're, they're an exciting new musical collective based in Sheffield. I think they're going, I think they're currently up and running. Brute, oh, Brute Foresight. It's great. Foresight, rather. So that's, so that's good. That's the Statwaddy game. And uh, if people want to send them in, um, you know, wiye.london at gmail.com. I think I've got that address right. I'm sure Alex will inter- interrupt if I haven't got it right. I think I've. Um, so, so Graham Norton show on oh uh, on Friday, and you probably weren't watching. I don't know. But Gary Barlow is on. He's made a really interesting point. I thought Gary Barlow was talking about the plague, the lockdown, and he was saying that for him there is one enormous advantage, which I thought was really really fascinating. Gary Barlow, like an enormous number of pop stars and, and indeed all manner of celebrities, is somebody who's so recognisable that whenever he steps outdoors, whenever he goes to the shops, or goes out in the streets, whatever. You know, he's constantly being recognised and you know, often probably unwelcome interruptions, selfies, autographs, all that. He says that because you have to wear a mask, wearing a mask and possibly just a woolly hat as well, you know, means you can go to places you wouldn't normally be able to go. Yeah. And he says he now goes to, you know, Sainsbury's or Little and rings up his mates and says, guess where I am? I'm in the middle <laughs> of Sainsbury's, which is something he's never done in 30 years. I thought that was quite interesting, really. You, know, you think of the agonies that people go through. I can remember talking to Rod Stewart once, and he said he always wears shades when he's outside because <clears throat> if you wear shades, you can't make eye contact with anybody. If you make yeah. eye contact, they expect something from you. Yeah. Van Morrison always used to walk around barking into a, when he was on his own, barking into a, into a mobile phone. Because that, that way you couldn't kind of get to him, you know. David Bowie used to dress in, in, a, in a kind of tweed, tweed jacket and, and carry a Greek newspaper in New York. So if you thought, God, is that David Bowie? You think, well, why would he be carrying a Greek newspaper? <laughs> Quite interesting, really. No, it's true because you you don't also you know if you if you go in a public place you're wearing face masks you kind of don't look too closely at other people's faces do you really? No, you don't. It, you kind of you you respect their privacy a bit more, don't you? You know. So um, I just thought that was it must no, be it's very liberating. There's a, there's a bit in the Craig Brown's fantastic uh, recent book about the Beatles, one, two, three, four, where he took one of our books of the year, indeed. Um, where he mm-hmm. talks about um, that time. Do you remember in, in November 1966 when McCartney, they're on holiday, the Beatles, and McCartney, I think at that stage, might have been unattached. He said, I'm not quite sure. But anyway, he decided to go to France on his own and hang around in disguise. Do you remember this story? Oh, God, yeah, yeah. And he got a kind of, he combed his hair back with, 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 with brill cream and put on some glasses and a fake moustache and wandered around just to kind of get a sense of what anonymity might feel like. It was quite interesting, really. They eventually went to a club and they wouldn't let him in, so he went back to his hotel, took his disguise off, went back as Paul McCartney, and then realised there were actually great values in, in, in being Paul McCartney. I was, I, was, <coughs> um, I was reading not long ago about uh, when George Harrison, in 1963, when Beatlemania was raging in the UK, George Harrison went to see his sister, who lived in, well, somewhere in the Midwest. Near no, he was the first Beatle to go to America, wasn't he? He was the first Beatle to go to America. So he went for a week's holiday, you know, and he obviously had, he was a successful pop star in the UK, almost at the beginning of his success. 
but he was able to go and visit his sister and be the big guy kind of thing, you know, and um, and uh, I forget exactly where she lived, but, you know, suburban community or whatever. And he just was able to go around everywhere, you know, uh, buying whatever clothes took his fancy in shops or whatever and going and, and ordering huge, great T-bone steaks and all this. And he just drove me... That was the last time, last time in his was. life yeah, that any any of those four experienced anything like normal life. You know, when he just, returned to America, there were twenty thousand people waiting at the airport. Absolutely, you know, when he went, went back to the UK, he went back into being a Beatle. Um, no, it's funny. It's funny the, the thing about selfies. Um, Maradona obviously died in the, in the last week, and uh, Jurgen Klopp, I think, was asked about him at, at a press conference and he made some remark about well if only people i, I mean i don't know what the, what the story of maradona's death is um but clearly is the pressure of of fame throughout his life weighed on him and uh, and klopp said well you know maybe people have just been happy to just wave to him rather than ask him asking for a selfie all the time his life might have been slightly easier and uh, i'm sure Jurgen Klopp, in his own way, gets that kind of thing. You know what I mean? The Completely. selfie must be he such must be pressure. It's just such an imposition. I mean, it's as if an autograph isn't bad enough. <coughs> an autographing that's often something that people are going to put on eBay and sell anyway. But I mean, a selfie. You know, you've got to be. You've got to look right. You've got to be approachable. You've got to be. I mean, oh, just the amount of time. And then, oh, sorry, that one didn't come out. I'm going to try another, and I'm going to get my mate to take it. And oh, it's a misery. Yeah, no. So talking to football managers, uh, did you uh, note Arsene Wenger's design? I did. To... I saw it. I thought it was an extraordinary selection. They were all big old kind of classic pop anthems. I'm going to read them out. Read them the out. Ben- read them out. For the benefit <laughs> of anybody who missed it. Uh, Bob Marley's Could You Be Loved, John Lennon's Imagine, Leo Ferrer and Avec Le Tom, uh, Elton John's Your Song, uh, Avin, uh, Evidemont. Evidemont but France Girl, she was Girl. a yeah yeah singer wasn't she yeah, yeah. Uh, Elvis Presley The World Under View uh, Jack Jack Brell well, the original if you, if you Go Away and then Sinatra's My Way <laughs> I, I was thinking well where was you know We Are The Champions by Queen where's Hey Jude where's Love Mare simply the best I will survive <laughs> American Pie keep but going mate but also nowadays, I always think people are using desert island just to kind of position themselves as slightly. I'm rather serious. I'm a bit edgy, you know. I like Leonard Cohen. I've always liked Nick Drake. All that. Yeah, Nick, Nick, Nick Cave's in there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Nick Cave. Whereas this, do you know what this reads like to me? Some of those albums that you the, put out. And... He, he's published. He's got a book out, hasn't he? So his publisher obviously said, "We have you ever done desert island?" He said, "No, no," because <laughs> obviously he just has no interest at all. I will get you on this. What do I have to do to, for that? Oh, you have to pick eight pieces of music. Pieces of what? Music. Oh, <laughs> do you like music? Well, and I've probably, he's probably got a few eight tracks in his car. You know, who, who do you like? And so he's obviously just worked from the basis of a, a few people he's heard of to then pick their best known their song. Best known that's, song. That's the weird thing about it. It's like, like I believe that like, Hey Jude wasn't in there. You yeah. like Elton John, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Okay, your song. <laughs> you like Francis Sinatra? Okay, my way. It's the most predictable list of eight records I've ever seen. And listen, I give him points, you know. 
for not really playing the game because but I did. Think... Did you listen to it? Because I, I no. say I didn't listen to it because I mean, obviously, <clears throat> the reason those things are in there are for personal reasons. Yeah, yeah. you say right. The reason I tell you is it reminds me of being at college, yeah, and that's yeah. where I met the girl who became my wife, and this, that, and the other happened. And that was the soundtrack to it, and so that's the point. And I'm trying to think: how does he sit there and say, how does he wind your song yes. by Elton John into the fabric of his life? I really, I can understand with the wonder of you because I think that was a Arsenal pre-match anthem, wasn't it? I think didn't he? Oh uh, right, yes, yes, But I mean, that's you know, I I, I didn't listen to the program. But I mean, really, in my way, that's obviously such a cliche. I was stunned. And imagine, did he sit there and say, I had some kind of, you know, amazing life-changing experience while listening to Imagine? I doubt it. You see, I don't think people should have to pretend to be interested in music if they're not. Because you don't have to. It's not, it's not compulsory, you know. It's like no more than people should have to be interested in football if they're not. They're yeah. Not, you know. yeah. Do you remember Michael Owen got into um, critical hot water about two years ago? By pointing out he'd only seen about three films in his life, <laughs> that uh, he wasn't that bothered about. Well, fair films. enough. He had other things. Fair to do. enough. And people say that's disgraceful. How can he not see Godfather Two? <laughs> you think? I know it's this guy's decision. played professional football. <laughs> He's most done people. some things that you haven't done exactly, Absolutely. and you never will. You know. Yeah, yeah. And then if he decides that an evening watching a film is not as exciting. <laughs> as just rerunning some football match in his head. You know, that's, that's up to him. That's and the time that he could have spent, you know, watching Porky's Five or whatever, he was actually on a pitch practising, you know. <laughs> he was training, probably. Yeah, so oh. leave him alone. Leave, leave him alone. alone. The Word Podcast. Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. Yeah. The McCartney 3 album was delayed for a week and we were speculating about why that was. And it's true. I thought, I think it's such an interesting story, McCartney 3. McCartney 3. Give, yes, give the backstory here, actually. Yeah, McCartney this, 3, this, this, exactly. It's the third in... Okay, go on. It's the third it's in, in a trilogy. McCartney 1 came out in 1970. McCartney 2 came out in 79. And the whole idea was that they were kind of homespun... DIY home recordings done. The first one was done up in Mullingtara, wasn't it? I think in the home studio, you yeah. know, in in the old barn. And the image you got was you know, McCartney played all the instruments himself. And the image you got was chickens were wandering in. There were dogs. It, and it people was sitting on like hay that, bales. It? it really was like that. And the second one was, uh, you know, <clears throat> after Wings broke up in '79, he went to the studio in, in Sussex and did the same thing. You know, just a kind of home studio in a barn. Nothing more kind of rural, whimsical, you know, homespun hayseed is imaginable. And possibly one of the reasons this record was de delayed, I have no idea, is that it comes with what I think is the most unprecedented array of heavily marketed collectibles aimed at the completest. So here's this, this wonderful little kind of, you know, homemade record. This is what you can invest up. in this folksy well, little thing, if you feel and like I had it. a quick look, and it comes in 10 different coloured vinyl versions. Ten. Right? Ten. Ten. There are eight different CD versions. Oh, of course there are eight yeah. different CD there are, versions. There are 16 different box sets. <laughs> I mean, the box sets are quite small. They're just the album with a, an item of merchandise, I think. But there are four different box sets in four different colours. And there are two cassette versions. Cassettes. And there's all sorts. I know, uh, cassettes, I know. And there's all sorts of face masks and baseball caps and dice bags and T-shirts and things you can get. Each one of those items. <laughs> so I thought I'd just, I don't know, I'd tot it all up. Now, if you bought all 10 albums, they're £30 each and one of them's 55 quid, right? 
The, the CDs, the eight CDs are 11 pounds each. The, the box sets are 28 quid and the 16 of them. And the cassettes are 17 pounds each. You, if you were a completist, and there must they be completists, surely there must be people who want to get all of it. You well, have to spend be. 895 pounds. And some people have got this stuff already and have put some on eBay. And obviously it's, you know, one of the one of the vinyl versions, the 333 edition, I think it is, is uh, there are only, well, there are only uh, 300, 333 editions of it. And so that's really valuable if you get one. And I just thought 16 collectible items of merchandise as well. I mean, isn't that absolutely astonishing? You know, and that's that's the record, as I say, which is meant to be this kind of freewheeling, you know, you know, chore, straw chewing. <laughs> you just <laughs> knock you just, about. Authenticity is the most expensive thing to fake nowadays, isn't it? You know? It is. And, that, and so much of entertainment is all about faking this kind of thing. When, when you were telling me about this, it, it rung a bell with me, uh, with the story I read about um, a very good American kind of collector's label publisher called Dust to Digital. Yeah. Uh, and basically they they find, I think they first came to prominence when they um, did this wonderful box set of uh, um, unfamiliar, very old gospel recordings. Yeah. From, I suppose, the 20s and 30s. And one of the things that they did to uh, underline the authenticity is that each copy, certainly the early issues, came with a little bit of cotton, a little bit of unprocessed cotton inside the yeah. inside the box, you know. So the idea being that the people who made this music had the backbreaking work of picking cotton, you know. And uh, anyway, they've gone from one thing to another and they, they do all kinds of really good stuff. And they, they decided they had an idea of doing something with one of their inspirations, which is the, the Harry Smith anthology of, what's it called? The Anthology Actually, of American, folk, American, American Folk, folk Music. Actually, I was listening to it this year. Which, yeah, the Anthology of American Folk Music. Which came out, what, in the 40s, probably the 50s. Uh, and was put together by a guy called Harry Smith, full of this very weird, old kind of social music country. What Grail Marcus used to call old, weird America. The old, it? weird America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, they, and that was a huge inspiration for people like Bob Dylan. And it was reissued about 20 years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. And, and anyway, they thought they'd do something um, to kind of tip the hat to this. So they decided to do the B-sides, a compilation of all the B-sides. Yeah, because they all came out in 78, didn't they? Between 26 yeah. and yeah. 34, I think. Yeah. yeah. So that's not... We can't take the, the tunes that are on the Harry Smith thing, but we're going to take the B-sides. And they put them all together. And uh, and they were due to come out this year. And then, in, in the light of the kind of Black Lives Matter um, movement, they they suddenly started thinking about the lyrical content of some of these tunes, some of these hokey old things on B-sides. And this is after they pressed it all up, wasn't it? After they pressed it, well, yeah. It's all been manufactured. We'll come to that in a minute. Because that's the thing I think is most beautiful about this. Um, That they, they, they had second thoughts and they decided it wouldn't be enough to put a disclaimer in there saying that this material was you know, related to its time and, and had contains loads of attitudes that we would now find repellent and all this kind of stuff. And uh, 
So instead, they decided they were going to pretty much do it again. And by that time, they had 5,000 finished box sets. That's right. Which are already on, this is from the New York Times, I read this, already on pallets, yeah. ready to board a ship in Shenzhen, China. In China. It's <laughs> being manufactured they, in China. They, hang on. How far removed is this from the kind of the folksy, you know, Completely. handmade thing that we're we're supposed to be celebrating, you know? And uh, it's the idea that this stuff is manufactured in China. I can't believe more isn't made of this, really. That uh, that you know, and if you there's a kind of 30, 40 year period, isn't it? You know, from from the um, you know, when the first CD plants opened in America in the mid-80s, you know, they were still making them in America. And then and then over a long period of time, all the many jobs that were involved in the manufacture and distribution of music, you know, because it was physical, and there were people who drove trucks, so people who <laughs> worked in warehouses, people who manufactured stuff, people who worked in shops, all that went. All that went, didn't it? Totally. Completely. Either exported to China or turned digital. Did I hear one single rock star for a second say, hang on, this is the industry we're in. Yeah. <laughs> we ought to be doing something to protect this. Not a, not not a, a squeak. Not a squeak. I know. I didn't hear anything at all. No, not at all. And, uh, and, you know, it's all, it's all just disappeared. And that, that just struck me as a... As a, as a kind of um, as a huge irony in a, in a world that's not short of ironies, you know? it's extraordinary, isn't it? And those guys, they 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 republished the whole box set, didn't they? they? Took several tracks off. There are various yeah. tracks missing now, and you just get a five second, rather poignant silence where they used to be. Yeah, but it's extraordinary. I think I think in McCartney's case, I, I I think a lot of that just comes down to just the sheer competitive will to win. Don't you think? These marketeers have said to him. Do you want to have a number one album? Do you want to make sure this goes to number one? Well, yes, I do. And McCart I can remember interviewing McCartney in 1980, was it three or four, when he had a, a single called Say, Say, Say coming out, and had been put back a week. I said, why has it been put back a week? He said, I don't want to clash with the Human League and ABBA, because they've got a single out this week. Yeah, yeah. You know, I can remember when he had the, the, the biggest record, the world record for the biggest ticketed concert anywhere, which I think was in Rio in 1990, and he sold a... 184,000 tickets to one concert. And that record was eventually beaten by, um, by I think, by an Italian, actually. And, uh, and how mortified he was, you know, because if you're in the game, you just want to be number one, don't you? Well, it you want that headline that says McCartney went in at number one well, again. That it, takes unlimited numbers of different formats of your record well, they, to ensure it's the case, then that's what yeah, you're going to do. Pretty, pretty much any, <laughs> any kind of major venerable rock name nowadays puts out a record. If they can clear the week, they can go to number one. They can. For a week. And yeah. Then, and, just and then get the headline they want, which is they've had a well, yeah, number one album in five decades or whatever. So Fantastic. it's 50 years ago, pretty much this week, since this record came out, this box set, which I held in my hand. George Harrison's All Things Must Pass. Which a remixed is, version of just reappeared, isn't it, I think? Uh, uh, yes. A remix, yeah, which I had to use incredibly scrubbed sound. Yeah, Extraordinary. Yeah. But what but, a great record that is. But have they still... OK, here's my question to you, if you've done the remixing, if, if you've uh, listened to the remixing. We all know the first two records are really, really good. You know, all, all these great songs, All Things Must Pass. Are you going to do Apple Jam? 
I'm now going to talk about, I'm holding up a copy. Thanks for the pepperoni. Of Apple Jam, which for people who don't know, is a whole record made up of jams um, played by the musicians who uh, who performed on, on, on the record. So it's, it's publishing credits, uh, songwriting credit, credits, which I imagine the point of the whole thing are Jim Gordon, Carl Radel, Bobby Whitlock, Eric Clapton, Gary Wright, George Harris, Jim Price, Bobby Keys, Al Aronovitz was a journalist, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, Ginger Baker, Klaus Vorman, Billy Preston, and so forth. Um, so presumably it was just a way to give the musicians part of the publishing, I suppose. That's yeah. why it was put in there. Have you played it since, Mark? Do you know, I only played it even at the time. Me and my pals, because I co-bought that record with a friend of mine, because <laughs> it was quite you expensive. Co point was yeah, yeah, we did. We, yeah, we couldn't quite afford the whole thing. A triple, a triple album in a box set. We, I can remember, we only listened to Apple Jam twice, even at the time we thought it was boring. <laughs> and you know, really, when you're the giddy age, you would have been. How old would I be? I don't know, seventeen or something. When that came out, I would have been so excited. I was so excited, so thrilled. And and you know, and the other exciting thing was it was it was clearly the best record. Uh, against the other four. I can't remember which order they came out in. McCartney came first, didn't he? Then was it Lennon? But it was clearly oh, the I best of all the solo records. They all put uh, out an album. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I can't remember the order. McCartney Fantastic. Though. Well, didn't Ringo and... Didn't, didn't they put out some... Didn't Apple put out a load of three Beatles solo records on the same day or something weird like that? Was it Wonderwall or something? I don't know. I don't know. I can't remember the. Order. Have you listened? When did you last listen to Apple Chair? Oh, uh, well, probably when uh, the Prime Minister was probably Harold Wilson. <laughs> is that is that? Are you really probably, no, it might have been Ted Heath at that time. I yeah. can't remember. Um, not for a long, 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 long time. But, but so they haven't. They, I just wonder whether they'd remix that for 2020. I don't know. I think it would hardly be worth the effort, would it? For God's <laughs> sake. Because it really was complete. It's not like they even had an idea. They just no, simply absolutely. turned the machine on and said, play. Yeah. It's unbelievable, interminable tedium. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. what a fantastic record. So spirited and exciting yeah. and oh, it's phenomenal. And it's interesting because halfway through the project, I think Phil Spector gave up, didn't he? And went home and George Harrison took over producing it. It's got a slightly warmer sound. It hasn't got that kind of great big kind of slightly steely wall of, wall of sound. It's, yeah, it's just, it's, yeah. It's, it's, no, it's, it's a great record. Great record. And so I, I was thinking about, um, thinking about Christmas, as we all are. Yep. <laughs> this time of year. It's about to be December, and it's going to be a funny old Christmas. It and I, I'm wondering if secretly we'll all quite enjoy it. Because, what, the quiet Christmas? Because, <laughs> you see, suddenly this year, for the first and only time in my, in, in my memory... No Christmas parties. Merry Christmas, everybody, by Slade, just doesn't sound like... <laughs> it's just like, what for? You know what I mean? Because that's the sound of a of a party, isn't it? It is. That it's the only reason to exist is for a room full of people <laughs> to kind of go mad, and it just doesn't sound right. The records, the Christmas records that that will be will bubble to the surface are going to be the kind of poignant. This is it. Slightly sad ones. This Don't you is think? it. And the, and you see, I think the secret is they're the best ones. And I can't remember if we were, we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, but uh, one of the greats is. 
Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, which first appeared in a Judy Garland film, Meet Me in St. Louis, I think, um, in, during the war. And it's about a family in New York who suddenly the they, uh, father announces that they're all moving. They're all going away from New York. And uh, next year they'll be in St. Louis. And that's why Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas is about make the most of it because it's all going to go away. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It's all, it's all about small pleasures. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, being close to a few people rather than being with loads of people. And they, they just struggle. Well, your great favourite, um, It's a Big Country by David yeah. Sigerson's got a yeah. number of that, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's about, good. it just, it literally is about the size of America. It's yeah. about the idea <laughs> that he's got all these relatives all over America, some of whom he's never met. Yeah. And that they have this annual call, don't they? They say, uh, you know, he, he, he rings up and sort of trying to imagine what his niece looks like. It's your yeah. uncle calling, Angel. Can yeah. you put your mother on the phone? And people bake loaves of bread and send them east. And it's just yeah. that idea that they, they try and keep in touch. And there's something Sport. very poignant about that. It is. It is. And, uh, you know, I think the best Christmas songs have always got that tinge about them. You know, you know Blue Christmas. and Absolutely. I mean, fairy tale of New York, you know. Christmas yeah, absolutely. Ba- Christmas, baby, please come home. You yeah. Know? <laughs> You know, driving home for Christmas, all that, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, there's, there's a Leon Russell it. song called "Slipping into Christmas." Well, I'm slipping into Christmas. I'm sliding into New Year, and I'm missing all your kisses, baby, since you're not here. It's yeah, that kind of it's that kind of sense of loss, isn't it? And uh, I heard, I was listening this weekend. There's a very good uh, a new Andrew Bird. You know, Andrew Bird, the American yeah instrumentalist mainly and singer. Um, he's got a very new, a good new Christmas album called Hark, yeah. which is which is very much got that vibe to it, you know. So it reminded me to go there. It's about the time I dusted off the John Fay Christmas album, which is uh, an, another favourite of mine. So you know, I don't go for those. Um, I don't go for those those records that advertise have yourself a Christmas party, you know. Not my idea of not my idea. I'll tell you a record that might come into focus again this year is, the, is Nick Lowe's Quality Street. Do you remember he, he put out yes. a, a Christmas album about, must yeah. be about seven years ago? There's a track on that called Christmas at the Airport, which is terribly funny. Yeah. And it's about the idea that he's flying home, and as he gets to the airport, the snow comes down and he's marooned at the airport and he can't get home. And he eventually finishes up finding some empty closet somewhere where he goes to sleep. When he wakes up, the departure lounge is empty. <laughs> it's got some great lines in it, you know. It said, "Don't save me any turkey. I found a burger in the bin." It's that kind of absolutely miserable sense that you're never going to get home. You're stuck in an airport. Have you it's ever spent? Have you ever spent Christmas on your own? No, gosh, no. I've, I've done it once. Shall I tell you? How did that happen? <laughs> I'll tell you how it happened. It's uh, you know, it's gone how many years ago is it? Well, it, it was um, one Christmas. And uh, we had very sad family circumstances. My mother had died not long before. And, yeah. and, and you know, I'd been up in Yorkshire and been a very low ebb emotionally and everything, as you yeah, yeah. And, and then the time of year, everybody gets flu and, you know, uh, I had two funerals to go to and all that, so kids to look after. And, and by the time I got back to London... I was just absolutely at the end of my tether and the flu was just absolutely about to descend. I'll back on Christmas Eve. And Alison, my wife, said, well, I've got to take the kids down to her parents, you know, because that was the arrangement that we go down for the 
for Christmas Day to be with them. So I said, well, you better just leave me here. So I sat at home feeling really sorry for sorry, myself. With a dressing gown and a glass of sherry. And you watch, but, but, but listen, next door, my next door neighbour, Karen Lundstow, delivered me a plate of turkey and you know, and, and a glass of wine. And I sat there, and I, do you know what I watched? I watched the deer hunter on the television. Oh, god, that's not going to help. <laughs> oh, Christ, but, no, but, the deer, but, but like, I sat and watched the deer hunter on Christmas afternoon. Was that all on Christmas Day? No, oh, I think oh, I think I had a what a terrible choice. The idea I was on my own, I thought, I quite like this. I quite like not having to enjoy myself. You yeah. know what I mean? Because that would have been a pressure in, the, in those circumstances, you know. So I think, you know, being on your own, if you've slightly done it by choice, there's a lot to be said for it. Not if it's forced on you. That's that's a different thing altogether, you know. So, um, I hope you didn't enjoy it too much when they came back. You had to pretend you'd been utterly miserable. Yeah, the entire I, time. I got to bed by the time, they yeah. Came in back. fact, you've been dancing, <laughs> <laughs> little party for one, empties all over the place, you know, paper hat on. Oh, yeah. god, yeah. You see, I you see, you're a gregarious party going person at this time of year, you know, you like going to parties where there's crowded rooms full of people standing about having a drink and you remember everybody's name i don't i'm not very good at that kind of thing at all so i find it a bit of relief not to have to go to those no i know what you of, mean i know uh, what you mean just uh you know spend time with your family and then and then rabbiting onto you on <laughs> via uh via connections like this so um did you see the story about the Free Britney campaign. I did, yeah. Was it Vanity Fair? I read that, yeah. It was in Vanity Fair. And um, this people may know, may know or not know this, is that I think in 2008, uh, because she had a well-publicised kind of mental health issues, and um, she was her career was was put in the hands of a, or the conservatorship of her father. Jamie Spears. It was 2006, actually. No, that's absolutely right. He took over, didn't he? By he uh, you know, a, ju a judge. <laughs> yeah. A judge put him in charge. Said, you know, so she continued to work. I mean, that's the amazing thing. So since that time, she released four albums. Four albums. So four world tours. And she, this is the statistic I noticed that, that she's been at a residency at Las Vegas. Who hasn't? And she has played at Las Vegas, grossing five hundred thousand dollars a show. She's played show. two hundred and forty-eight shows. Work that out. I like, mean, that is that. Obviously, that's the gross. It's not the profit, but still, well, can you imagine? There's an the awful lot. There's an awful lot of profit if you're doing it every night. If you're, you're doing not, it every night, you're not trucking any equipment <laughs> in. Absolutely, you know, you're just know. turning up and playing. You know, you know I, I, I mean, that is astonishing. No, but the thing that struck me is that so she's been incredibly busy. And yet a huge lobby of her, her really, really obsessed fans are convinced that she's imprisoned by the relationship. She's been held her against her will. Yeah, there's somebody else, uh, I can't remember her name now, somebody Montgomery, who's who's uh, who's the who's been kind of temporarily put in charge of her uh, her proceedings, and they want this person to they want her to be free from her dad. And they <laughs> it's kind of like the Paul is dead rumor, but on a massive scale, isn't it? They've, they've worked out these things. If she wears clothes of a certain colour. She's sending out a message, isn't she? In, it's in all via, it's all via her Instagram, which I've got yeah. 
me. Yeah. Do you know, do you know how many followers she has on Instagram? Oh, it's going to be in the, God, what is it, 30 million? No more. No. 26.9 million. Good God. 26.9. And, and it's really interesting when you look at her, her um, Instagram feed, you realise that Instagram is all that the Britney Spears of 2020 requires. It's all they need. It's, a, it's just a set of signals. They don't I'm want having, to hear any I'm of pearls and wisdom. You know, here's me, my new boyfriend. Here's me getting on a private jet. You know, here's me yeah. looking fabulous. Here's me doing a dance step. Yeah. Day in, day out, it's all there. You know, it's absolutely astonishing. But I was, um, what struck me about this was that um, this story was that huge numbers of people uh, uh, regard themselves as uh, they subscribe to the free Britney kind of hashtag social media movement. And I don't know if you saw this, that uh, Barack Obama gave an interview. I think he's got a book out, hasn't he? They've all got books. Yes. <laughs> as if he hadn't it, sold it's enough It's doing books. pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's... Um, he said that America had a truth crisis. I think he called it an epistemological crisis. Yeah. Which I thought was a really interesting point. Very good. That, that people just don't believe anything, you know, even if you can prove it to them. And, and if you, you draw a parallel between the free Britney and the considerably more, more sinister QAnon, you know, conspiracy theory on, on the right, which holds that... America is in the grip of a secret ring of paedophiles yeah, paid yeah. for by George Soros. And it just, it's, it's kind of, it's so mad. You just don't want to even know about it. But, but the interesting thing about the QAnon subscribers is they tend to be old, they tend to be white, and they tend to be conservative. Whereas the Britney people are young, diverse, and quite liberal. Yeah. And they're just as much suckers. They're just the same. <laughs> and have gotten themselves idea. into some rabbit hole of utter madness. They, they, they're convinced that she has the words uh, "call 911" written on her eyelids. Yes. They said if if she's if she wears yellow, then she's sending out a message, or red, or blue, or indeed any colour. She's sending out a message of uh, uh, a, a kind of you know of, a cry for help. They said that when she walks, certain ways she walks backwards and forwards in videos is the SOS. In Morse code, it's the Morse code for SOS. I mean, this is insane. Isn't it? Have you have you ever subscribed to a celebrity or entertainment conspiracy theory? God, no, I don't think so. I, I don't think I have. I don't think I have. And I, I, I can't mean, think of that many actually. Well, yeah, no, well, yeah, I can't think off the top of my head, and I don't, I don't want to start any. No, that have even less basis than any more any others, but. So much for the information age, you know. So much for the age where we're all supposed to have access to, you know, free flow of information. We can find out what's going on. Nothing's hidden from us anymore. So instead, so, somebody, people just make stuff up. People just make stuff up. Somebody put something up the other day about the uh, Daily Telegraph information service. Oh, Did you see <laughs> that? It was really interesting. It just reminded me that before Google, you know, you used to have to ring up the Telegraph, didn't you? Didn't you ring up and we, say... Yeah. I've still, I to I've, some facts. I've still got it on my Rolodex. I've got a Rolodex downstairs, an old steam Rolodex. Yeah, brilliant. And the Daily Telegraph information service, I still have the number downstairs. Because back in the day, and I'm thinking about the 70s, I think I've got to know about it mainly when I used to work in record shops in, in the mid-70s. And if you wanted to know about something, 
and and you didn't have, happen to have the standard reference tomes that you needed, which were Rothman's football yearbook, which would have all the scores and everything going back, you know, the Wisden's cricket. Wisden cricket, absolutely. Um, thing. Hallowell's film guide. Hallowell's film guide. I've still got one somewhere. Yeah. Hallowell's film guide. Uh, and the Guinness Book of Hit Singles and then the Guinness Book of, uh, of hit, hit Albums. And possibly, I think Hallowell did a TV guide as well because the film guide was so successful. Yeah. If you didn't happen to have those and you wanted to know what won the Oscar in 1979, you would ring the Daily Telegraph. Yeah, you want the Eurovision winner in, in, in 1982. Yeah, and they, they wouldn't charge you anything for it at all. And I tweeted about this. I said, who remembers it? Because it's clearly one of those things that just, you know, people of a certain, of a certain age remember it. And I got responses from some people who remembered it, who used to work at the Telegraph, actually. And I said, how did it work? You know, because they didn't charge you anything. It was just perfectly pleasant. Usually a lady answered the phone and, and went away and looked something up in reference books and then told you the answer. And um, he said it was kind of attached to the Telegraph library, you know, which in those days they would have a cuttings library and a reference book library and all that stuff because you needed that to run the daily newspaper. And they run this as a side issue of it. And uh, and the people, you know, staffing it would be kind of people described at the time as work experience, possibly, or, you know, we would call them interns nowadays. But the thing I the, uh, further I didn't realise was that they were open to personal callers. So if you were in the region, you could go into the Telegraph and meet somebody from the Daily Telegraph Information Service who would look up something for you. That's amazing. It's absolutely fantastic. It is. And the other uh, thing I remember was the cut. Do you remember the cutting service? Oh, God. If you were doing a piece about, you know, you were well, researching. I think still around. Yeah. Maybe it still is. It's possible. But if you were, you know, <coughs> writing a piece about, um, I don't know, uh, you know, Tony Bennett or something, yeah. <laughs> you and you didn't quite know much about it, you would ring up and they would then... On a bike, I think send round, wouldn't they? Um, you know, did you ever uh, did you ever did, pages from old interviews? Did you ever do anything for the BBC involving a film research or anything like that? In those days, you could go to the BBC library and they would deliver you a that's right great watch, yeah, press content. That's right, uh, and, and anybody you wanted. No, yeah, I remember those those cuttings places, and they used to work on the basis. There used to be one not far from where I live. I think it was Romake and Curtis, it was called. And uh, and it really was. It was teams of old ladies cutting things out of yeah. uh, uh, of newspapers and sticking them on cards and putting them in fire. It just seems absolutely unimaginable, though, doesn't it? Unimaginable. Well, I, well, I and it to me that we, you and I worked on magazines only 30 years ago, which still had letter set and <laughs> transparencies and, you know, and uh, Blue booths, you know, it's just do you know the other thing that just struck me when we were thinking about Britney, Britney Spears, is how long Britney Spears has been around. Yeah. So um Britney Spears, I took my eldest daughter and her mates to see the Smash Hits Pole Winners Party, which ran around about this time of year, uh in the year that Britney broke through. Baby One More Time, video directed by Word in Your Attic, 
a guest, Nigel, Nigel Dick. Dick, all this kind of stuff. And um, and and she was that was the big thing that she wanted to see Britney Spears and her mates desperately wanted to see Britney Spears. And I think there were 14. There were 14 at the time. Well, she's 38 today. So you know, that's that's quite a long time, isn't that it? That really is. It's amazing. And Britney Spears is still regarded as kind yeah. of kind of youthful, isn't she? I'm not suggesting Those anybody. 14 people ought to ought to to, uh, to reunite for a Britney Spears evening. That'd what? be fantastic. There was a mate of ours, do you remember, who must have been in her big pip, must have been in her mid-50s, and she got together with about uh, three or four of her old pals who used to love um, uh, David Cassidy. Do you remember that? And David Cassidy played the Hammersmith Odin. And they all oh, went, did they go? Yeah, that? they I all went. Yeah, four girls in their mid-50s got a bit giddy first on the old uh, lean frown mill and, and had a scream. It must have been hilarious. Wonderful. <laughs> we should do that. We should go and see the Edgar Broughton band. Edgar Broughton, but go and see Stack Waddy. Yeah. <laughs> This is a junction in the Word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. So we're joined now by Magic Alex Gold. Hello, Alex. Hello. I'm not putting my thumbs up this week. If nobody can see me do it. Oh, yeah, right, that's true. Yeah. I know. I keep forgetting that, actually. I keep saying, judging by the expression on your face, Dave. Uh, no, that's so, fine. That's, that's all right. Yeah, go on. You just listen loads of podcasts nowadays. Are, you know, they, they appear in video as well. Not not everybody sees them in video, but they're, they're done in video. People, It's a new language, Mark. It's it a is. new language. It is. Different vernacular. Alex, when we were talking about conspiracy theories, you were trying to send me a message. Oh, what yeah. were you saying? Well, have you oh. heard the one about Paul McCartney and his changing earlobes? No. So there's this theory. It's always Paul McCartney, isn't it? It's always Macca, yeah. Um, there's this theory, and there, there is there is pictorial evidence to, to support this. Well, I don't know how reliable it is or whether it's been photoshopped, but apparently Paul McCartney's earlobes change over the years. So some years he has earlobes and some years he does not have earlobes. And this apparently is irrefutable proof of the fact that he did die and was replaced by a doppelganger, several doppelgangers um, over the years. So, but you can look it up. You can look at Paul McCartney earlobes. Google that, and you'll you'll find a plethora of of pictures containing Paul McCartney's ever changing ears. I'm at uh, image ever in, 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 <laughs> my ever changing ears. My ears, yeah. Who <laughs> made a record called my ever changing moods? Can't uh, remember. Council. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Okay. It was the Star Council. So is it now, I'm wondering if it's now so long since the Paul McCartney is dead rumours, it must be over 50 years, that presumably under the 50-year rule, we would have access by now to the cabinet papers that would tell us whether the government, Harold Wilson, actually discussed the fact that Paul McCartney was indeed dead. Was that the rumour that he did? No, but I mean, if you think, that's my whole thing about conspiracy theories. 50 years later, if there was a conspiracy, you would know about it by now, wouldn't you? Yeah, you would. There are no 50-year secrets, are there? I don't think so. Because somebody always, somebody always, you know, the, the... Fourth man in the in the Philby Burgess and McLean thing, all that stuff. It all came out on people's deathbeds, didn't it? It just yeah. does. And and the and the same thing would have happened by, by the, with that by now. So yeah. um, <laughs> so the earlobes. Okay, very That's, good. I just googled, and you're absolutely right. 
There it is. <laughs> People just have endless time to fill, don't they? <laughs> There's no doubt about it. What was the, what was well, the... it's a bit rich coming from us, though. Yeah, it is actually. Look at us and what we're doing. Here's a question. When do you think the last rock conspiracy theory was? I can't think of any post Well, Britney thing. Spears. I mean, you know, it's going... That's going on right now. It's going on right now. Totally. The biggest, biggest ones of all. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the the SOS thing, people are actually talking about that. Oh yeah, right now. Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. Oh. People are taken to the streets, demonstrating outside courtrooms and all kinds of things. It's it's terrifying. It really, really, really extraordinary. So, uh, what have we done over the last week? We've um, we've spoken to Laura Barton, haven't we? And yeah. that's, that's out and about. That's fantastic. That's out and about. She's so good. We have actually spoken to. You know, it's taken us a while. We've done many word of your attics, but it was always my aim from early on to find somebody who'd gone into the ring with Frank Bruno. And finally, <laughs> finally, we've combed. We ask number. everybody, don't we? we ask so, Lloyd Cole, just one more question. Did you ever, you know, have a do go two rounds with Frank Bruno? It's an amazing story. Frank Bruno had won the world title and he bought the boxing ring in which he won it and had it. Constructed, reconstructed in his garden, didn't he? And, and this journalist, White, and journalist, to come and do a round with it to, to get an idea of what it's like. And his description is absolutely <laughs> riveting. So don't don't miss that when it appears. Um, the uh, the Friday night quiz, uh, having made it really difficult two weeks ago, I made it really easy this week. I didn't mean to. <laughs> did, every, did everybody get it, Mark? Pretty much everybody got it in the end. It's funny because when you when you, you tried it out on me, actually, I didn't <laughs> I didn't sure get it that early. So you I felt really Alex, bad about that. Alex Whereas there was a very obvious clue in it, my goodness, about a bass player who played the violin, which I should have got straight away. Because there is only one really well-known violin playing bass player. But there we but are. It, but it started off with a uh with with a picture of the town where they came together. And um, we were thinking, oh, nobody will get that. Of course, somebody got it straight somebody away. Somebody got it in literally two to three seconds, as fast <laughs> as it would take to type. Absolutely I would suggest they're amazing. probably a citizen of Wolverhampton, and therefore yeah. if you show them a picture of Wolverhampton, it's immediately apparent. So I'll try and make it a bit more difficult for next week and because um, he's hotting up, the competition is, isn't it? Well, Since we've, yeah. got, we've got a, ce a celebration pork pie which is going to the winner of uh, the 2020 lockdown mastermind Friday night quiz. Call it what you will. Pies the uh, limit. The pies the limit. Yeah. Pro provided by the lovely people at Bray's Cottage. It'll be a very fabulous pork pie. Worth and then, we'll, and then we'll start again after that. The slate will be wiped clean and we will get uh we will accumulate a new leaderboard so you know just get on board for the uh for the next season and uh and you may be in the running for a major prize absolutely it won't be a pie it'll be something else we'll think of something else okay what else is this there to say alex new patrons alex yeah we've got a few new patrons um good harry lingard all right Very god nice. bless you harry watco uh mysterious what watco Watco. wow Simon, Watco, Watco, go on. Simon True Arthur. All right, okay. Um, 
Anthony Fitchett, who is an annual patron. Annual patrons, of course, getting the benefit of a 15% discount. Yeah. So if you, if you to find out more about the various ways that you could be involved with this enterprise, uh, if you go to patreon.com slash word in your ear, you'll find out how you can get involved. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Hey. 